Hello, 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 and welcome to Dismantle Racism. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and our goal at Dismantle Racism radio show is to really help you to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really want to create a world where racial equity is the norm, and I'm so delighted today to have my guest uh, and Uh, who is Angela Todd, and she is here to talk about why history matters. Why should we talk about history? Because a lot of people think that we should just leave history out of it and not address what has happened in the past, but really be focused on the present. And so we're going to learn today why it's important for us to go back and to preserve history and to know our history. You've probably heard me say before that um, history, it, it's the, when I was at Howard University, I had this t-shirt that said, ignorance is bondage, know your heritage. And we really do stay in bondage not just people of color, but white folks as well, we stay in bondage when we don't know our history and the heritage of other people as well. And so we are going to talk about that today. But as always, I like to begin the show with having us just to breathe because sometimes when we get into this conversation, on eradicating racism. It creates all of this ickiness inside of us, creates a lot of tension. Sometimes it creates a lot of emotion and we just need to breathe. We need to breathe to remind ourselves that one, we are life itself and we have the ability to impact others' lives and we can truly change the world because we are divine beings created from this place of love and light. So if you would, Let's just take a moment to breathe by taking a deep breath in and releasing it. Taking a moment to center ourselves and to be conscious of our breath, which gives us life. Taking a moment to connect with our divine wisdom and our sacred source, whatever That is, just notice your breath. Notice how you're feeling and remind yourself that you are love itself. You are change itself. You are ever evolving. You are light and you have this abundance of light to share with others. Know that you are a part of a shared humanity and you carry within you the power to heal, the power to change the status quo. As long as you tune in to your very breath, because that breath represents life, And it represents that sacred source that's within you. And so you can breathe in and out, just acknowledging the power that your one contribution has the power to impact a community. So take a deep breath in and then sigh it out. 
and let us begin today's conversation. During Black History Month, or even Hispanic Heritage Month, we often learn about one or two people who have contributed to these United States. We know about Rosa Parks, but how many people actually know about Claudette Colvin? And if you do know about her, you may think that, wow, that's great. That's it. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm proud of myself. Let me pat myself on the back for knowing all about her. But my guest today challenges us and says, but do you know the next tier down? And do you know the next tier down from that? And so on and so on. Do you know the history of your neighborhood, your community, or even your family? Do you really know the history of your family? And so we often celebrate those 10 to 15 people that we know, and then we're inundated during Black History Month, for instance, people will put something every day on their Facebook page about someone from Black history. How many of those people do we remember? Because we only hear about them sparingly, right? Or infrequently. And it makes folks, particularly white folks, feel like that they've got it covered. But really, today's guest says, what's being covered up is what we don't know. So I'm so delighted to welcome my guest, Angela Todd. She is an archivist, an activist, and a historian. And she has worked for, she worked in the past for about 18 years in the academy, particularly in the science areas and uh, science archive. And she really took a look at the historical records and who brought their personal papers to her. And I will say she's been on a mission to preserve women's stories and to save those stories that have usually been relegated to the back part of history. And her work um, is shaped by the belief that every woman has a story worth saving. Now, She's always been that person out there asking these questions. I want you to know that Angela has a BA in women's studies and MA in literary and cultural theory, and she did her PhD work in cultural studies. So I'm so delighted to welcome Angela Todd to the show today. Angela, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Terilyn. I'm excited to be here and really continue a conversation that we've been having for several years. We've known each other for a while, mm-hmm. and I'm delighted to bring everybody in on our conversation. Well, I can't wait to talk about what has unfolded, even in my own family, from the work that uh, I have done with you. But before we get there, <clears throat> I would love to know what grounds you in this work? Because I know from doing work on dismantling racism, it gets very difficult when we're trying to talk to people about racial equity. And something like bringing stories of women to the forefront is not always easy. And you've also begun looking even at women of color a bit. So what grounds you and helps to balance you when you're doing this work? So If your question is, how do I stay grounded? It's being outside. And and you know this about me, that my my faith is really in the natural world is where I feel that it's 
reinforced and it's, you know, I feel like the world can take care of itself and I find comfort in the cycles. Um, but I was thinking about this question on the on my drive yesterday and I was thinking about how if we all understand that our people did all come from people that lived on the land, if you go back far enough, we all are land people. And I think there's something really primal in that connection to the earth. Mm. And, you know, it feels to me, you know, the right side of being on the right side of history also feels like that, that pull of a primal desire for what's good and true and just. And I feel mm. like they're connected, right? That what's natural Oh, this is so hokey. I can't believe I'm saying it live. <laughs> What's natural and true is love and inclusion and like a universality that I believe strongly in. Well, it's so interesting, Angela, because it's not hokey to me because <laughs> I, I call that groundedness and I call that love the divine. I call it right. divine wisdom. I call it the sacred. I call it God. And it really ultimately doesn't matter the name that we use. What matters, I think, is what you're saying about this, this grounded place, this place of love, this place where we understand that actually we're all interconnected. And if we go from that place, that's the place that, that really propels us and compels us and yes. impels us <laughs> to yes. do the work that we do. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask you, uh, Angela, because I I know that you really have always been that girl, that woman, uh, looking for stories of women. You know, I know that even when you're talking to your kids and, you know, there's that Lego piece, you're saying, well, where's the girl? You know, where's the woman? On the spaceship. And if there are women there, because he learned to say, oh, they're over here, that I said, well... If you're going to populate a planet, where are the women going to nurse? Where are they, the babies? And you need a plan. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a, my poor kid. And how can you, and how can you populate it without a woman anyway? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, understanding that there are multiple genders. So that's a given in this conversation, but what I wonder is, even though you've always been that person do you remember what sparked your interests uh or does it just seem that you were always born with this deep love in your heart for the other and the other being in this particular case those who identify as women you know this is such a hard question to answer I mean um I feel like I have so many starting points, right? And to me, that means I'm on my path because I see that they all connect with each other. But I have a very strong connection to my grandmother and spend a lot of time with her and the other, you know, farm wives up in Northern Maine, sort of square dancing and luncheons and whatever. And I feel like I really got attuned to a point of view Mm. that didn't show up again anywhere else. Mm. in my life so Mm -hmm. as I grew and went through you know school and college and jobs and whatever those women weren't there Mm. so Mm. I think the gap kind of inspired me 
Mm, yeah, there is a gap in history. And I think that's that first gap that I noticed is that those women who, you know, I think a lot of us have that, that home group that boy, buoy us up mm -hmm. and love us and cheer us on. And then those women are, um, they evaporate or they're just not present as mm. we move out of that private world into a more public space. Well, that's actually really powerful, Angela, just kind of thinking about your story about this, because what it shows is that when we step, step outside of our own little corner of the world, our mm -hmm. minds are open up in some very expansive ways in which we began to ask the questions. And so even as we kind of talk about dismantling racism, if we stay in our same boxes, we right. can never, ever you know, dismantle racism. Angela, now take a really quick break. And when we come back, we'll delve a little bit more deep, uh, deeply into uh, the work that you do around helping to maintain and really uncover first and then maintain history. Right. We will be right back with my guest today, Angela Todd. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guest today, Angela Todd, is an archivist and a historian. So Angela, before we get uh, into the question specifically around um, helping people of color preserve 
their history. Tell us a little bit about what you actually do. So my way in to collecting women's stories has been through family histories. And so I've worked with some individuals to collect. So I've helped some people clean out their apartments, right? And go through the file cabinet and say, okay, they're, we're not gonna save this. We're not gonna save this, or this is the family stuff. This is your professional stuff. And your local repository wants the professional stuff. Nobody wants your medical records, for example. So anybody listening, Save those for your personal whatever, but take those out if you're going to give your things to a repository, like an archive, a library, or a historical society. So I help people sort what they've got or collect. So some families don't have big file cabinets full of stuff, but they want to save their history. And so we talk about, you know, going to your different parts of your house and pulling together what you do have photos and documents, and cobbling together a family history. What kind of documents? Well, the further back we go, in my experience, the less we have to choose from. Mm. So we start with whatever you have on hand. So I'm, if you go to my website, AngelaLtodd.com, and you can click to get a list of the 15 things to save, and things not to save. And this is the other thing that I think people are relieved to know that there are things you don't need to save. <laughs> and so they're listed on that list and it's about context, right? So right. you're high up in the garden club and you're keeping files on everything you've grown in your garden. And, you know, your leisure time is focused on a thing and you have all these documents related to it. And that is worth saving. But if you mm. went somewhere one time and you've got the pamphlet, you can throw that away. They, they I know. And that's heartbreaking for, for us, right? Those people who love to just keep every, everything. And that's me actually. So I get that. Yeah. 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 So, so what, so I know, and, and again, you and I have done a, a bit of work on this. And so I know that you really are interested in helping to tell the story of the people who've come before us. Why is it important in your perspective, from your perspective, to know, for instance, what my mother did or what my grandmother did? Right. Do you mind if I talk about your family specifically? No, talk about my okay. family. Well, I'm going to start though by talking about hidden figures. Do you remember that story? The yes women that did the math to get the men to outer space mm -hmm. so I think that is a perfect popular example of how the story changed when we added women's stories to it mm -hmm. right so Katherine Johnson is a heroine of mine first of all because I can't believe she spent a life dedicated to math right <laughs> right but the way we understood that trip to the moon or the whole space program was really about men and conquering and masculinity in this way that frankly left it uninteresting to me. Mm -hmm. But when we started to hear about the women and the African-American women in particular that were doing all the calculations in the background to make it possible, and we understood something completely different was really happening. 
So we learned a whole new thing about the history of labor, the history of women, what allowed the space program, about possibilities for women in the U.S. at that time and African-American women in particular, Mm -hmm. right? So history is very complicated. And yes, it is still important to see the overarching narratives of, you know, white patriarchal hegemony. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But as we dig down deeper into it and we see the perforations in those big overarching narratives, I think that gives us a richer understanding of the possibilities for us when we know that the past was more complex than domination. Mm. Mm. Yes, exactly. Because, and then we, we, we actually get to see how hegemony is played out, right? If we can understand our contributions, we can say, oh, wow, actually the way we are socialized, we're socialized into this, um, hegemonic masculinity in this in this world right that it's the patriarchy that we are all subjected to and the white patriarchy at that right Mm -hmm. and that we all begin to believe that there's a ceiling for us that there's there are limitations for us but what you're saying is is that when we uncover history particularly around women and african-american women since we're we're talking about hidden figures, we get to see what we can accomplish, what we can do. And it helps white people to understand that white people don't own the rights to everything. And they aren't the ones who've discovered and invented everything, right? Exactly. Yes. And it allows us to see that the, like the story is a white story, a white patriarchal story, right? And so when we Uh, perforate is all I can think of when we cut into the story a little bit and make these places where otherness can pop up and we see that it's it's you know white men haven't done it all and it's time we let everybody know you know right and also and I'm going to talk a little about your family if you don't mind we did work on your your mother's story Mm -hmm. And I spoke publicly about it and you were in attendance last year at Born to Rise. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget, you were there with your daughter. She Mm -hmm. came up after all the presentations were done and in my presence said to you, how come I learned more from Angela about grandma than what you ever told me? And I know that that's true and not true, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're very into your own family history and you talk about it. And I know you've talked to Tila about it, but when you string it together as a narrative and add social and cultural context to it, it becomes a different kind of story. Yes, and Angela, I just want to, I want to say that not just for her actually, because I learned even stories that I had heard about the school that my mother had gone to. Right. I heard about that school growing up, but it wasn't until you asked me questions and you started saying, Terrilyn, did you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so speak, speak more about that because I think it's important for our listeners. I think it's important, particularly for African-American people who are listening to know that we have a rich, rich heritage which of course we know that, but like to look in our own families and really understand the significance of that 
and passing it along to the next generation and not taking it for granted. Because I know that there are things I took for granted growing up. And then you get out in the world and you say, well, no, not everybody had this or this opportunity. So speak a little bit more, Angela. So your mom went to a school that was part of a national program of specifically rural African-American elementary schools that were built in the, uh, I didn't review the history before this call, I think 1890s, which to me is early for that kind of progressive to me Mm -hmm. uh, kind of project. Now, to be clear, my mother wasn't born in 1890s. I just- No, no, no. The school started in 1890 and she, and I think she was there, what, in the 20s, 1920s? She would have have probably been there more like uh, 30s. Yeah. And so there was a a whole uh, Southern project in place to educate African-American rural kids in specific. And your mother- to me is just the epitome of how well that project worked, right? So she was a sharecropper's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She what she graduated high school, she mm-hmm. taught, yeah. she and she didn't just teach Sunday school. No offense to anybody about Sunday school, but she was recruited to be a high school teacher. Right. She did also teach Sunday school. She right, and she so she taught uh, school, and then she for over thirty years decided to go back and teach in the Head Start program, which actually started in our area. She was one of the first teachers to do that, and she stayed in it for thirty years. Yeah, she wrote for the newspaper. She represented mm-hmm. your church at like regional and national conferences. And she was usually part of a very small minority of African-American women mm-hmm. that did that. Right. She also was a poll worker, which meant that she was protecting our right to vote back in the 50s, 60s. Yeah. So, so I would say, don't quote me on this, definitely 60s, but in early 70s, it, I, I always knew my mother to be a poll worker. And probably even when I was growing up, didn't even realize the significance of, oh my gosh, she's a poll worker here in Mississippi. She's out going to the polls, working alongside, mind you, white folks to make sure that people uh, voted. And I remember as soon as I was 18, I was registered. I mean, it was a thing. And these are things we took for granted because that's just how our family and our community was. But but preserving history tells us that it is important to know this so that we can see that we've always been involved. So Angela, you know, we have to take a really quick break. Um, When we return, I think that... um, you know, we can continue with this story a bit and I'll, and I'll invite you to share whatever else you want to share about it, but really um, just emphasizing not just people like my mother, but other African-American people who've contributed 
And it's important to go beyond even our families, as you said earlier, and to know what's happening in your community. Who, who were those people in the community who walked alongside uh, my mother? But we'll be right back. We have to take a quick break. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back, excuse me, with Dismantle Racism. I am talking today with Angela Todd, a historian who has been sharing with us how critical it is for us to preserve our family histories and to know our history. So Angela, before the break, you were sharing a bit about the work that you and I have actually done in my own family with uh, preserving history, but also helping to pass that history along to uh, the next generation by the ways in which we tell the story. Um, In the African-American tradition, our oral stories are important. And so we tell them over and over and over again, and we pass them down that way. But preserving it as a written document is really important. So I want you to talk a little bit more and just share what you were sharing right before the break. 
Okay, thank you very much, Terilyn. I listened to you before the break say that you took some things for granted and you said that was just the way my family and my community was. And do you know why they were that way? In part, that was because of your mother, right? And I wanna say that our families and our communities overlap considerably, especially if you have a family that's active in a church or in organizations outside of the family or political or whatever. And so I think that making sure we understand the overlap there. So family history for me is political. It's important. It's, you know, utmost importance. And it's just as important as all the other things that we think of as history. Mm. And so your mom, for me, shows where that overlap is and how important it is to see the family in context and women in contexts besides just the family. Mm-hmm. Not all women had families. And so there are lots of stories that I think fall by the wayside because we maintain a distinction between family history and like history or big history mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of ways for your listeners to get started. And I'd like to give a couple of um recommendations if that's okay right now yes there are a couple of projects that I follow that I don't use to their utmost but one is called the slavery inventory database so I know that has uh, traditionally been a stopping point for people doing family history and it's a kind of new project their their tagline is we create connections to those whom history has forgotten I think they're doing really good work. If you're doing family history already, I think that's an excellent resource for people to be able to go and push that um, information further. I also am following uh, International African American Museums Center for Family History. So they have trainings on what you can find out from a death certificate, how to approach a genealogy project. So what I do is different from genealogy. And I'm really glad that you brought up the oral story traditions because I feel like oral history is another so important thing for all cultures to save. And not necessarily as a written document because you can get so much out of somebody's tone of voice out of there, you know, if they're being sarcastic, if they're putting you on, if they're laughing, if they're, you know, choked up, you can hear it in their voice. And oral histories also can tell stories that cannot be told anywhere else, that there will be no record of, or that it can give you the clues to go find the documentation behind it. And a couple of examples of that are, I worked with a client who met her birth mother. There's no other place or way to know that that ever happened except for this telling of the story. Mm-hmm. In the small town where I grew up, there were rumors about the um, Underground Railroad, which had always been there, according to my elders. The rumors had always been there. But a couple of years ago, a university project undertook the task of finding it and finding out about it, and finding the documentation, and rereading the documentation that they had with this in mind, Mm. right? So it can be proof. It can lead you to proof. 
and it can be the only proof. Mm. So oral history is, I feel, very high on the list of priorities. Right. But you know what I also hear you saying in this conversation about history is for us to remember that we are history. We're first of all, like, uh, like we're, we're walking encyclopedia or like Alex Haley would say, we're a walking library, right? right? You know, so we, we are that, but we're making history even in this moment. And so you're really, you know, just even making me think about not just my mother, but all the people I grew up with in my, my small rural town in Mississippi and the ways in which we interacted and showed up in the world and how important it is to know that there's a history there that's significant Mm. and worth telling not just our children but the world about this community definitely yeah because as you said I, I I love how you're the overlay of you're saying your mother's story is a part of the community's story Mm-hmm. And my mother even helping to shape that uh, history, because one of the things I think uh, I, that you do as a historian, when you're gathering family history, you are you, you go deep, <laughs> you look at the tentacles. It's not just that you'll look at my story, then you look at my mother's story and all the kids or whatever, but you go back. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how far back do you try to go? And then do you look at multiple people's stories or tell us what you do when you are trying to, if I came to you and I said, well, like I did, Angela, you know, uh, tell me a bit about my mom. So how, how does that process work with what you do? Well, I've found that each family has a different thing that they want as a result, and they have a different dynamic. And to me, that is important to know, right? So what I do is not generally like a cookie cutter process. People come to me and they say, you know, I have worked for some women who want me to talk to their dads. And Mm -hmm. I consider that still helping a woman out. So (laughs) I've done it. I do focus on women's stories, but you know, so there are ways in which, um, I've worked with a client whose parents were leftists, right? And she said, I just can't sit and hear those stories again, but I know their work was important. And what's what's particularly important, I think, that I say in this interview is, this is an example that will um, show this point. The person that I just finished working with had MS and was in a wheelchair. And every time the buses would shut down a route or change the uh, pickup locations or try to cut back on their services, that person started a group to protest, Mm -hmm. to lobby, to whatever. He collected money. He met, he and his wife, he was in the scooter, but his wife was a real driving force behind their activism. And then when the resolution came, either the bus did or did not cut back those roots that group dissolved Mm. so there would be no record of it if this couple didn't keep the record of it Mm. wow (laughs) I'm so happy that they did though right because 
you know, I think about sometimes I, I, I keep thinking about how we do so many things. Like we become an activist. We, we, we're, we're start movements and we do all these things in our own corner of the world. And we'll say, Oh, that's just me. I'm just doing this because this is the right thing to do. But somebody needs to know about that. Somebody needs to know about those activists so that for inspiration, so that they also have uh, knowledge about how things are done. And I want to jump in here, if you'll let me for a minute, because uh, this activist couple was uh, a minority couple and they, that was part of their argument, right? Is that you are cutting the bus lines to and from these downtrodden or racially diverse neighborhoods. And so when that activism dissolved, right? So did the record of, okay, every year you try to cut black people out of public transportation. Mm. So there's a way too, that it's not just about what people are doing, but about what organizations are doing like this. Look, we've got the proof that the buses keep trying to cut us out. Mm. Yes, that's powerful, Angela. What, you know, it's interesting because you've done women's history, I know for a long time, but I think that, and you've always been interested in, in um, communities of color. I know that, but I think something changed for you a bit after 2020 in terms of also your resolve to help dismantle racism. Is that an accurate statement that you? Yeah. If you're leading me to tell me a, to tell a story, I need a little bit more information. Well, I've got not, a couple not, of things not, in mind. Not, not necessarily <laughs> to tell a story, but I think my point is people often wonder what they can do to dismantle racism. And you found a way to dismantle racism, even within telling history. It's not that you weren't doing it before, but I think right. after 2020, well, specifically 2020 was marked by two well, several major things, but two in particular, uh, COVID and the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. I mean, two very uh, significant things to have happened. And people are always saying it's too overwhelming to try to dismantle racism. But you're finding ways of doing that even by helping people tell their stories. Now, of course, I have to take a break, Angela. Oh. So when we <laughs> come back, hold that thought for the story that that you want to uh share and i know there are some other things that we want to get to as well in the last segment so we'll be right back with dismantle racism i'm your host the reverend dr tlc hey everybody it's tommy d the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc. 
for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with Dismantle Racism, and I've been talking with Angela Tan today. Angela, before the break, I asked you, was there something or, or, or really what kind of changed for you in the work that you were doing around working with people of color um, at, after George Floyd's murder, really, when there became this, this mass conversation about racism? was a really hard time for all of us and you know I've always considered myself an ally and I'm I was I'm not sure exactly why <laughs> you know growing up in rural Maine at mid-Maine there weren't a lot of African-Americans around and I I just popped out that way I guess and you know on the I yesterday listened to your radio show where you interviewed Sage Fortune and Ruby Avery. And I think it was Ruby that said, you know, to me, that was just what we went through. It wasn't shocking. It's just that white people got to see it. Mm. And for me, you're right. It was shocking and I got to see it. And so it really made me realize how little I understood and I've always been an imperfect ally. I've got to say, I've made missteps and I've, you know, had to circle back and apologize a couple times. And I feel like the work that I do, um, it's important for me not to tell the story, right? The work that I do is to facilitate the story being saved. And so the work is a collaboration in which as an oral historian, my voice is to stay as quiet as possible. That's what I've been taught and that's you know my politics as well. The other thing that happened in 2020, which is not what you were referring to, I think I can say her name because she's already announced it. I worked with Lottie B. Scott in getting her collection together she wanted to make sure that she didn't save the wrong things. And, you know, I think we threw away a bookmark, but everything <laughs> that she saved was really important to documenting her nonstop vigilance around racial injustice. Mm. And I think I was really floored by the constancy of that, right? Mm -hmm. So she 
was in NAACP. She started her local chapter and she uh, rose through the ranks to be the president of that chapter. And her, her collection is amazing. She's got hate mail in it. She's got uh, all the documentation from, you know, just trying to intervene in school scuffles and say, no, we need to look at this as a racial issue. Mm. When discipline came down in a way that seemed like, oh, this isn't just a squabble. This is a racial microaggression or whatever, whatever right. we called it back in the 70s. Um, and I think having an intimate knowledge of her collection made me understand the depth and constant I mean, it's like cellular, right? Like mm -hmm. the way she lived her life was really all about speaking every time, standing up every time, pointing it out every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to, to know about people like Lottie Scott, because those people exist all over and we don't know their stories. And then sometimes we see them when they're older and we don't really even understand their contributions and maybe not even value them in the way that we should, but to know that she's been fighting forever with this, right? Yes. Um, you know, so, so two things go together for me though, Terrilyn, right? Is the violence, which I'm an extremely sensitive person, you know, I know the whole white women crying thing, but I cry at the drop of a hat. And like, just thinking about that can make me cry. And the violence and the like, I don't know, the complex witnessing and nobody intervened and on and on. And then that combined with the depth of Lottie's constant, you know, speaking up. I feel like it changed how I understand um, African-Americans in the U.S. And, and it has given a different kind of urgency to what I think my project should be. Mm. English. Angela, as you're talking about that, I know that you and I have also talked about integration and de desegregation, right? Talk to me a little bit about how your thinking about that has evolved over the years. Right. So, again, racial uh, relationships are so complicated. And a story I heard from one client back in the 70s, she, she's African-American. She rented a room in her home to a divorced white guy and his son would come on the weekends. And one weekend she gave the son a cookie and the son went to his dad and said, look, daddy, the maid gave me a cookie. Mm. And I feel like there's so much overwritten into that. And, mm. you know, my client was not upset by it. She said, well, that's the way it was. Mm. But there's a, it shows, right? The, the separation, the lack of integration, I guess. Right. And then again, I was listening to your radio show and one of your guests said, when I went to an HBCU, I realized I wasn't just the black girl at the party because all the girls at the party were black. And I got to really delve into my own individualism. Mm. And at another public event I was at, a woman stood up and, and she was in her mid sixties 
and she talked about going to growing up in a community where everybody went to the same black elementary school and then woohoo integration i mean uh, yeah integration which we are calling desegregation now right because it wasn't really integrated mm. but that was supposed to be a progressive equalizing change in america and she talked about her experience going through desegregation and she couldn't wait to have such and such a teacher that her brother had and everybody walked to school together and home together and she was going to sing in the chorus and all this stuff and then one day um i think she's the one that so somebody came to the house and said you you're going to the white school and she didn't walk to school with her friends and her family anymore she didn't get to have such and such a teacher she didn't sing in the chorus and we know now right the pro progression of events is that after desegregation they started sh shutting down those after school programs right right so she didn't sing in any chorus yeah so Carolyn, she, wept. she was and 65 years old and she wept in public remembering how painful that was mm. and that was and I feel like African-Americans have paid a price even for the prog progress that we think we've made as a country. Mm. So, Angela, I just want to repeat that because you're, the, the volume kind of went out just for a little bit. And what you were saying was that she wept because of the pain that she had experienced not being able to do those things that she had so looked forward to. So we thought that integration was the end all be all but what it actually did the history that we don't tell is what it stripped from people and so I think that yes. as a historian when you're going back and you're looking at um, it, particularly women's stories since that's your focus is mm -hmm. about looking at also the emotional history that happened so we hear about history and we know about you know for instance we know about Ruby Bridges desegregating the schools, mm -hmm. but what was the emotional pain that this child went through, right? Um, and thousands we, more. It, right, thousands and we know. Just like her. And, and I want to really add to what you're saying is that we know also the stories of people going and uh, being made to, to go up in the front of the class when you're the only African-American person and show your teeth like you're an animal. We know those stories. But the story that you just told of missing out on what was happening in her own community, that's a story. But Angela, 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 we have actually grown, gone, we've gone to the, uh, to the point where we must say goodbye to our audience. There's so much to learn about uh, telling our stories and telling our histories. And I really want to thank you today day for being here and being such a wonderful guest. Um, any final words that you would like to say to us uh, around this topic? And then I'd love for you to tell folks how to get in touch with you as well. Well, I do want to say one thing, which is that what we're missing is the way policies get played out on real people. And that's what I think is really the bottom line in my mission, right? For mm -hmm. women, minorities, or historically excluded populations to be able to tell okay that african-american rural schools were great 
integration was great, but here's how it really played out. Yeah. And I think that's what's missing in history. Well, thank you, Angel. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, uh, my website's AngelaLTodd.com, or you can email me Angela at AngelaLTodd.com, or I'm on Facebook or wherever. Yeah. And that's T-O-D-D, Angela L. Todd. Thank you all so much for joining us today on Dismantle Racism. If you'd like to know more about Angela, please do get in touch with her or visit my website at sacredintelligence.com. Send me a message and I'll help you get in touch with Angela. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz as he helps you walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. I am the Reverend Dr. TLC. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time. Bye for now. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. podcast gateway to the smokies it airs on talkradio.nyc every tuesday night from 6 p.m to 7 
almost every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 